system that snitches on Jesus, right? He rats him out. He sells him out to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver, right? And him, along with his name, becomes synonymous with treachery. If you, the name Judas is defined in the dictionary as a traitor, a backstabber. And although his name was a common name back then, a lot of people named Judas back then. There's multiple people in the, in the Bible named Judas. Um, nobody today names their kid Judas. <laughs> his name has gone down in infamy, infamy um, as this, this treacherous, treacherous person, right? And so, you know, but here, like, like I don't think anybody would identify themselves with Judas, but here, before Judas, before he goes on his fall of grace, um, as someone that is following Jesus, he's following Jesus with a motive. It says that he was in charge of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. And although none of us Christians or even believers would, like, rat out Jesus, we would never sell out Jesus, we would never steal from the church, we would never, like, you know, steal from the kingdom of God. There are a lot of Christians out there today that follow Jesus the way that Judas followed Jesus. They follow him for what they can get out of him. They follow him because they think it's the right thing to do. That following him will bring blessings, bring fortune, a certain level of protection. They go to the church. They go to church because they think that it will be helpful for their kids. It's going to help raise moral kids. There are people that I know personally that go to church and they, they, they talk about it as an insurance policy. They're like, hey, you know what? What if this is actually true? I just, I just want to make sure that you know, I get to heaven. Now, this may sound ridiculous to some of us, but a lot of people's connection with Jesus is on this level. They see Jesus as a means to an end. It's a superficial and superstitious connection with him. That has no heart and no real connection. They believe that he's something that can benefit them in their life. It's like a it's like a, a lucky rabbit's foot. Do, do South Africans have lucky rabbit's foot? You guys in America, there's just you know, they actually sell them at like an novelty stores and kind of gross because it literally is a rabbit's foot. <laughs> it's like this dismembered rabbit's foot. But it's like they're supposed to bring him love. And they see Jesus in this way. They see him as like this genie that answers wishes and, and this thing that kind of like, you know, if you have it, they, it brings you protection. Because Jesus, Judas followed Jesus. None of the other disciples knew his motives. He fit in with the rest of them. And yet there was this chasm of unbelief that separated them. I would label this consumer Christianity. And it's sad that there are people in the church today that live their lives, their spirit, their church lives for decades and continue to remain in this level. Faith is easy if it benefits them with no challenge to their lifestyle and how they live their lives. They stick around as long as you know they're getting what they need from it. But as soon as things get tough, as soon as things get challenged, they're out. They dip out. Judas like most Jews back then, believed that the Messiah was going to be a political king like David. That he was going to come, and he was going to raise up an army, he was going to declare himself king, and it was going to be the nation of Israel again, and you know, they would you know, like take off the shackles of, of, um, of, of Rome, and you know, they would become their, this political king would come, 
and and that you know he would declare himself as king and and Judas he believed that as long as he stuck around Jesus and actually became king he would find himself in a very prosperous situation like you know what if Jesus really is the messiah and he becomes king maybe i can actually you know have a good position in the kingdom maybe i can even be the treasurer of the kingdom right but when Jesus started talking about you know i'm about to die this is my flesh and my blood eat and drink me Jesus, Judas realized that what he envisioned would not happen, and he jumped ship and tried to get whatever he could out of the situation, 30 pieces of silver. Right. A Christian would never say, you know, like, I identify with Judas. They would never say, I am Judas. But there are plenty of Christians out there that relate to Jesus on this level. And it's a dangerous place. It's this place where they just they just want just the best parts of, of what Jesus has to offer. He's going to be good for my kids. He's, you know, if, if I if I go to church, he's going to bring blessing into my life. He's going to he, you know he, he's going to good things will happen. He's like a luck, he's like a lucky charm, right? They have one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world, and Revelation talks about this as being lukewarm and that God will spit them out of their mouths this the dangerous place but there's there's people there's christians out there that would actually identify with the way that judas sees jesus and then we have martha the passage says that martha served martha served and we all know about martha is how and how she's described in the bible you know as someone that's running around and serving right martha you know, Martha, Martha, Martha. Right? There's that famous passage in Luke 10. You know, some preachers say that the Luke 10 and John 12 is the same, but I believe it's different. Maybe it's earlier. Luke 10, I, I feel like it's earlier on in Jesus' ministry where they actually come to know Mary and Martha before he actually cures, uh, uh, brings Lazarus back to life. But there's this passage in Luke 10 where it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, right? It's like what Ethan says all the time. He's like, Dad, Ezra's not cleaning. <laughs> Make him clean. Because I'll be like, you guys have to clean up this mess. And Ethan is like really, he's really like a good kid, right? And he starts to clean. He starts putting away. And then Ezra's just like sitting in a corner like, Know, playing with his buttons, you know, like he's picking his nose, picking his butt. He's just like, and then Ethan's like, will you make Ezra clean? And I come, and I'm like, Ezra clean. And he's just like, this is what's happening here. Martha was a server. He was, she was a servant. And just like Judas had become synonymous with backstabbing and treachery, Martha has become synonymous with serving. Now here's the thing. We are all to serve. We are all to have a heart of a servant. Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The next chapter in verse 13, in chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, right? This is actually something that like, you know, it was like one of the lowest, like servants would do this, right? It's one of the lowest things that you could do. Jesus does it for his disciples. And then he says, you know, this is an example of what you're supposed to do unto your brothers, Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord 
and not from men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're all called to serve. We need to have this heart of a servant. And it's not bad to be a Martha. Everybody like puts Martha in such a bad light. It's like, oh, you're a Martha. It's good to be a Martha, right? Right? Like, like it's not bad, like, you know? But we need, we need to serve. Your, your life that you live should be as a service unto the Lord. But here's the thing. We can't allow this to remain our and become our identity. I don't know if you have caught on, but there's a ladder that we're on here. Right? The floor is Judas. Right? <laughs> it's Judas, right? You can't get any worse than Judas, right? But there's a, there's a, there's, we're on a ladder here. God's taking us on this journey. And I know that service in the church is very important, but if that is how you identify your, as your relationship with Jesus, you're missing the point. If your faith is based on your position in the church or how you identify you yourself in the church or what you do for the church, something is off. This is why our previous church culture was so toxic. There was such a hierarchy. And so many people on staff. At one point, there was like 30-something people on staff up in Seoul. And everybody had their labels and everybody had their position and people start to identify with their faith, with just what their position was. This is my role in the church. This is my position. This is what I do. And soon their faith began to be formed around what they did and what they do and not what he has done for you. Because here's the lesson. Although it's important to serve, right? it's important to serve, what you do for Jesus has nothing to do with your standing with him. You guys have to realize that. Because there's nothing that you can do, no service, no sacrifice, no offering, that can do anything for your salvation. And with your standing before God, because there's nothing that we can do to justify ourselves. Nothing. So many times we get stuck in this performance mode. We get stuck in the striving mode. We want to strive. We want to, we like, you know, if I do this, you know, like... I, I'm going to be the best. If I get this role, if I have this, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm known for the one that to do this, God's going to love me. I'm going to be right before the Lord. But service doesn't save us. Striving doesn't save us. Good works does not save us. Only Jesus saves. It's only through faith in Him, by His grace. And our service should only be a means for us to obey and draw closer to God. I'm continually being challenged in this. I always, like midweek, I'm like, is my spirituality based on the fact that I'm a pastor? It's really hard for pastors to kind of like break out of this. Is it because of what I do for the church? Is it, is it because of the sermons that I preach? Because the sermon is fine, it's, it's okay. But if I'm not connecting with God and continuing to be challenged by, you know, by Him in the spirit and growth, and I'm not encountering him as my Lord and Savior, something is not right. 
Serve the Lord. Serve the church. Please, you guys should all serve the Lord. I want to thank all of you guys that are serving here. I want to thank Molly and Josh and Tiffany and AJ. AJ does service work. Nobody asked him. He just does. Amanda. So many of you guys serve. And it's important. Please serve. And I honor you guys. But don't let it end there. Don't let your service identify you. Don't let service replace a true relationship with Jesus. So we have Martha. We have the servant, right? A servant. And and really, and I believe Martha had the heart of a servant. And then we have Lazarus. The Bible records nothing that Lazarus ever said. Nowhere in the Bible is there a word recorded of, of something that Lazarus actually said. He is only known as someone that Jesus loved and brought back from the dead. And here in John 12, he's recorded as one reclining with Jesus. I believe Lazarus here represents our witness. He is a witness to what Jesus has done. In the same way, we are to be a witness to the world of what he has done in our lives. Right after this passage in John 12, verse 9, talks about people coming to Jesus to see Jesus, but they also come to see Lazarus. They're like, they all come to see Lazarus and, and how Jesus raised him from the dead. And then the chief priests, they plot to kill Lazarus as well. They want to kill Lazarus because on account of him, it says, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So you see, you have this person, Lazarus. He's a walking testimony. He's a walking witness of what Jesus has done. Lazarus was a witness. Jesus calls us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And this is something that needs to be a part of our faith in Jesus. People around you, the people that you know, the people that you come into contact with should all see you, the work that Jesus is doing in your life. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 22.15 For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Isaiah 43.10 You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And I want to ask you today, is your life a witness? Is your life a reflection of the work that Jesus Christ has done in your life? He has taken you from death to life. He's taken you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And he has deposited his spirit inside of you. You know, in... It's easy to be a witness on Sundays at church. But are you being a witness at work? Are you being a witness at your school? Are you being a witness with your friends, with your family? Are you a witness for Jesus in a world that is continuing to to more and more reject and hate Jesus? Are you a reflection of me, of him? Lazarus had an amazing testimony. He was a walking, talking testimony of the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. Imagine being brought back to life, dead for four days. But I want to tell you, each and every one of you have a testimony of what he has done in your life. Revelations 12, 11, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb 
and by the word of their testimony. People think that being a witness means like going on a mission trip. Oh yeah, I I, I was a witness. I went on this mission trip. I think that being a witness is being a, a missionary to a third world country. But I want to tell you that you are a walking testimony and a witness of the power of Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men. We are all to be the light that shines in the darkness. And that light is a work of God, that the work of God that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. As children of God, we're supposed to be a good representation of who he is. You know, Ethan, Ethan's a great kid. Right? Ethan, like, he's so considerate. I don't know if you ever know, he's a really considerate kid. He's thoughtful. He's kind. He's a good witness to the type of parents that he has. Ezra is not Ezra, not so much. Right? What I'm saying is, don't be an Ezra. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Ezra. He's also a really great kid. But we're supposed to be witnesses of Jesus. Just like, like, like our lives should be a reflection of what He's doing in us and who He is to us. Is your life a reflection of what He's doing in your life? Or is, or is that reflection only come out on Sundays? Does that reflection come out when you're hanging out with your friends? Does that reflection come out when you're working? Does that reflection come out when, when you're with your family and friends? Because we're all called to be a witness. But it doesn't end at being a witness, just like it didn't end at being a servant. Because we still have Mary. And what she did and how she related to Jesus, in order for us to not be a Judas and, 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 and just taking from Jesus whatever we, we, we think that we need and we think that we want, and in order for our service to be more than just service, and in order for our witness to be true, for our witness to really be the, uh, the right witness for Jesus, we have to find ourselves where Mary was and doing what Mary did at this dinner. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor always have, poor you always have, but always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mary, who had witnessed the glory of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the love of Jesus, he goes to him and takes this, this pound of pure nard. Nard was really expensive back then. Imagine like the most expensive perfume that you can buy today. Right? What, like I don't know if you ever, if you Google it. Like what's the most important like expensive perfume? I don't know. Probably be like a couple thousand dollars. But but this a pound of nard back then cost. It was worth close to like 300 denarii. A denarii is a, a, a laborer's day's, day's wage, right? So if 300 is basically a year's worth of somebody's wages. 
So if that was the case, it'd be close to twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollars in today's terms. Imagine something that costs like thirty thousand dollars. We all make about you know, most English teachers in Korea make anywhere between thirty, some twenty. <laughs> like who's on less? Imagine taking something that's worth thirty thousand dollars, just pouring it at the feet of Jesus, and and where just a few drops would have sufficed. But according to Judas's reaction, it's as if she poured the whole thing out to anoint Jesus. This was wasteful. This was extravagant. Not only that, she takes her hair and she wipes the feet of Jesus. Back then, no Jewish woman was ever seen outside with her hair down. Right? It was just was not it did not happen back then unless you were like a prostitute or something. No one had their hair then. Back then, it was it was a sign of their 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 purity. It was a sign of their their pride and their prudence. Rabbis would allow husbands to divorce their wives with no other reason except for being walking around with their hair down. And Mary not only takes down her hair, but she uses it to wipe the feet of Jesus. This was an extravagant and costly worship unto Jesus. This echoes the words of David in 2 Samuel 24 when he goes and he wants to, to build this altar in the, in the threshing floor of this man named um, Arnaha, Ar, <laughs> the Jebusite. And he goes and he's like, I want to buy this land. And then the guy is like, he's like you know what, I'll just give it to you. I'll just, I'll just give you this land. You're the king, you know, I'm just going to give you this land. And David says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that costs me nothing. Mary demonstrates this extravagant, costly worship that Jesus is worthy of. Jesus is worthy of extravagant worship. Not just for what he has done, but because of who he is. And this worship comes from a place of humility. Mary using her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus is a sign of her humility. She's taking this, this, this area, point of her pride, right? A woman's hair. And she's going and using it to wipe the feet of Jesus. This is an extravagant worship. It's birthed in a heart of love and affection. And this, this heart of worship is, is where our connection to Jesus must flow. And is this your heart of worship for the Lord today? A heart that surrenders to him everything that we have and everything that we are. Is Jesus Lord of everything? Every part of your heart, every part of your life. A lot of times we say, God, you know, remember that song, Lord, I give you my heart. Go inside. Lord, I give you my heart. You know? I give you everything, but sometimes we hold things back. Lord, I give you control of my whole life, but not that part. I give you the control of everything except my finances. I give you control over everything in my life except for my relationship with this, with this girl or this guy. I give him everything, but there's one thing that I need to, I want to hold on to. But Jesus is worthy of extravagant, costly worship, a heart that gives him lordship of everything. And there is this thing that we have to understand. This worship isn't something that we produce in ourselves. We don't, we don't produce this 
type of worship. Right? You can't just like try to muster up this worship. I'm gonna worship extravagantly. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to like you know like you can't. This is not something that we can produce on our own. But it's birth as an overflow of G- who Jesus is, and it comes from encountering him for who he truly is. Mary saw Jesus for who he truly was. She had experienced his love, his mercy, his glory. It's almost like this prophetic act that she does of giving him worship for what he will soon do as being the sacrificial lamb. He's about to go to the cross. Mary, like he does this, she does this amazing act of like worship, this, this extravagant, like costly worship. And Jesus is like, you know what? She's preparing for my burial. This, he's, he's saying, this is the right response. This is, this is what I'm worthy of. People think that Jesus was modest. He, Jesus wasn't modest. He didn't have to be modest. He's the son of God. And when, he's, when, when, when this like extravagant, amazing, like, you know, this act of, of, of worship is, is done on him, he's like, you know what? She, she's doing the right thing. Why? Because it's coming from an overflow of her truly understanding who Jesus really is. He gave us everything. This extravagant worship will flow from us when we realize the most extravagant act of love and sacrifice that ever happened in this in the in the history of the world that Jesus did on our behalf. When, when compared to the most extravagant and costly sacrifice that has ever been offered up in history, that God himself chose human form to dwell among us and die a death that is meant for us, and not only die, but to take on the punishment of, for our sins that we deserve, that in his resurrection we have life and true relationship with God. When we compare that to how, like, you know, like, to what we can, what can we give to him? Everything that we give to him falls short. There's nothing that we can give to him that is extravagant. He gave us everything. He gave us everything that he deserves, his inheritance, and took on everything that we deserve, our sin and punishment. And when this becomes truth in us, when, when this really becomes a reality in your heart, this extravagant worship flows out truly is worthy of our praise. He truly is worthy of our worship, extravagant worship. He is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our hearts. He's worthy of our everything. He's worthy of our lordship. Now back then, you know, to be a lord, when, when, when somebody was, the word lord basically comes from the fact that the lord really, usually just controls the destiny and everything that what happens to their subjects. It's like when, when somebody is my Lord, that person has complete control of what happens to me. That's lordship. He is worthy of our lordship. This is the latter. From this place, from our hearts giving him extravagant and costly worship, you know, our lives are to be a witness. And from this place of us giving like extravagant and costly worship, is from the place where we're supposed to serve him. He is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. 
from the from the depth, all of your heart, everything that is within you, you're to love God. Because he truly is worthy of our everything. This is what Mary does. Mary, right? Martha's serving. That's that's awesome. And Lazarus is being a witness. We all need to be a witness. But what is Mary doing? Mary is, is, takes this. Some, some theologians say this probably was her dowry. Right? You know what a dowry is? It's like what what you know women. Parents set aside for the for a girl that gets married, is given to the family or to. This is probably her dowry. It was worth just more than you know, like anything she'd ever worn had in her life. She takes this pound of this amazing, expensive, costly, extravagant oil and he starts to wipe the feet and, and anoint the feet of Jesus. And it's this amazing act of costly worship where she gives him everything. And it comes from a recognition where Mary actually saw Jesus rightly. Are we seeing Jesus rightly? Are you seeing Jesus rightly in your life? Because when the way that we see Jesus is a way that we're going to live our lives. You know, Judas saw Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus. Judas ate with Jesus, and he even slept near Jesus. Judas was a follower of Jesus, but he did not see Jesus rightly. And it shows in the way that he lives his life. Martha, Martha, you know, like she sees he, he she sees Jesus, right? And she sees him as this, 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 this person that she needs to serve. Remember in Luke 10 where, where he's like, like Jesus says, Martha, like your, your sister Mary, she's doing what's right. She's doing what's appropriate in this situation. She's sitting at my feet. She's learning. She's taking me in. How are we seeing Jesus? Is he, is he Lord? Or is he somebody that we just have a concept of in our minds? Is he truly the risen Savior in us? Is he truly this, this amazing person that we know personally and that has like rocked our world, that has rocked the core of who we are, that's starting to change how we live and it's starting to change how we think and it's starting to change how we process the world. And is he at work in us or is he just this concept that we think of? On Sunday, we should think about Jesus or I'm about to go to sleep, I should think about Jesus. Because if you look at the big picture, Jesus is worthy. He really is. He's worthy of our everything. He's worthy of the most extravagant, the most costly praise and worship and adoration. And I want to end this time today with a song. I know this is an old song. It really kind of dates me, but I know that some of you guys probably know it. Um, But I want to to end with a time of worship and, and time to really give unto the Lord praise and and worship unto him. So let's all stand.